So this is the third session of Vimalakirti book study. And we are finishing, we're not doing very well with uh, time, we're finishing chapter four, moving on to chapter five. So I would like to go to, uh, to begin where we left off with um, Maitreya, with um, Vimalakirti visiting Maitreya. Page 64. Page 64. Wait, can you You said the end of chapter four? Well, we're finishing, yeah, so I wanted to touch on a few points there. So at the point where Vimalakirti ends up uh, at Tushita heaven. Somehow he shows up at Tushita heaven mm-hmm. and uh, he's, uh, this is where the Buddha is asking Maitreya to go visit Mimakirti and Maitreya said, I cannot do it because, and then he tells the story of why he's unable to do that. So I will just read a little bit from there. Uh, at that time, Vimalakirti approached and said to me, that's uh, Maitreya talking, Maitreya, the world honored one prophesies that with one more birth, you will be able to attain Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, Supreme Perfect Enlightenment. Now, just what birth does this prophecy apply to? Does it apply to your past birth, your future birth, or your present birth? If it applies to your past birth, then past birth has already passed into extinction. If it applies to future birth, then future birth has not yet, or has yet to arrive. And if it applies to the present birth, this present birth lacks permanence. For, as the Buddha has said, monks, one moment you are born, the next you grow old, the next you pass into extinction. Or does this prophecy apply to the state of birthlessness? But birthlessness is none other than the state of correct realization. And the stage of, state of correct realization can have nothing to do with prophecies or enlightenment or with attainment of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. So how Maitreya can you be given this prophecy about one birth? I'll read the next paragraph and uh, maybe we can talk about it for a couple of minutes. Maitreya, all the living beings are a part of suchness and all other things are as well a part of suchness. The sages and worthy ones too are part of suchness. Even you, Maitreya, are a part of suchness. So if you have been given this prophecy, prophecy of enlightenment, then all living beings should likewise be given such a prophecy. Why? Because suchness knows no dualism or differentiation. If you, Maitreya, are able to attain Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, then all living beings should likewise be able to attain it. Why? Because all living beings in truth bear the marks of Bodhi. If you, Maitreya, are able to gain nirvana, then all living beings should likewise be able to attain, to gain it as well. What is he saying? Let's, uh, and let's not take too much time, but let's look at really the most important point or points in what he's saying to Maitreya. Well, we all have Buddha So the, the point of no differentiation, not before, now, and after, right? The, the, one, of the, one of the ways we, uh, uh, one of the, I guess, harmful ways we separate is before, now, and after. 
right? Before I did not have, now I may have, and later on I will have. I will arrive. It will happen. Which means it is lacking now. If I'm saying that I will arrive at, I will have something later, I am saying I don't have it now. Right? And he's basically saying no. If you can attain it later, you can attain it now because it's not about attainment. It's very important to, 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 to know how to read that, right? So we're not uh, externalizing this and, oh, this is very interesting sutra, or oh, it's very boring sutra, which some actually think. <laughs> but uh, whether we find it boring or interesting is actually not the point. The important point here is to know how to ingest it. How to make it about our lives now. So, what are we waiting for, right? What are we lacking now? And he's telling Maitreya, if you have it, everybody's got it. If you can attain it, everybody can attain it. So, no differentiation, no gaps. If you might be able to gain nirvana, then all living beings should likewise be able to gain it. Yeah? Move on? Yeah. You want to say something? Also, explain oneness without differentiation, including space and time. Mm -hmm. So, if everything is one, if it happens to, to one, it happens to everything. Yes. And. So to bring that to moments of frustration or moments of uh, feeling insufficiency, right? that's where it matters, not around here, you know, when yeah, we understand. Well, how do I bring that to moments of feeling lack, insufficient? I may read about something or somebody has a had a realization and say, well, I want that too. Mm -hmm. Well, you have it, but it doesn't feel like that. So, so, very important to, to, to see how we chop it up and then to bring it, return to oneness, right? To return over and over again to the understanding that one includes even the moments of agony, the moments of frustration, the moments of insufficiency. I had that experience this week. Okay. <laughs> wanna... I had an observation on Thursday. Um, my administrator told me after our grade level meeting that, and, and he's had, mind you, he's had two and a half months to get it done, but no blame. Um, <laughs> uh, he actually said, okay, I need to come in today. And with my kids, it's a little um, iffy to bring, them, to bring somebody in that they don't see every day because they get overwhelmed, they get unfocused, they get freaked out, you know. And they start, some of them have, a couple of them have meltdowns. Mm -hmm. And so I had to think, okay, um, I'll let you know what time is good. You know, I had to go with it. But then having him sit there and all these thoughts going through my head of, you know, I'm differentiating between myself and him. He's the authority. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the teacher who may not be as good as this teacher or that teacher. So I had all kinds of things going through my head. Um, I did what I needed to do. But I still felt, I still felt in that incredible insufficiency. Like, this is not enough. What I'm offering him is not enough. It's not enough. 
and I always go over the top with observations usually if I know in advance I'm just like I throw everything out there this is everything that I do you know and and the, and the kids are responsive and they're focused and everything's moving you know and that's my ideal but I wasn't in my ideal situation <coughs> and I just had all these insufficient thoughts no you know everything was differentiated everything and why can't these kids respond the way I need them to right now and and so it just became very, oh, you know, very frustrating. And just to be with that was very difficult. Actually, I was not, you know, I still, I still am with it. It's still with me. It's still eating at me. So, um, so I'm still experiencing the insufficiency. So, yeah, I know. I, I feel that lack. Yeah. Well, the point is to include everything, right? To for and it's it's not a, it's not something that we flip a switch and it's like okay, from this point on, all is included. It's really moment by moment um, recognition of how we chop it up, and how we bring the light off the dharma to that and realize, yeah, it is one. Inserting it into all situations. It's the quicker, the less uh, damage we create. The quicker we realize it, the less damage we create. Go ahead. Let's quickly do that yeah. and move on. Yeah, no, I think like an observation of that because I, I, you know, I think we all relate to, to that sensation and frustrations and, and sensations that we don't consider to be good. And we have like a kind of not only the feeling of not being good, but also the annoyance of feeling that it's not good. Mm -hmm. you know, like because we understand that that is where the suffering comes from. And, uh, and I think it's like it's a kind of a feeling frenzy. Like I'm not only annoyed at the situation, but also annoyed that I'm annoyed. And I'm annoyed <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. And I, and I found lately that what, what I'm, at least I'm trying to practice now, is um, to, to kind of let that seat with me. Like incorporate it, like, uh, I mean, that, that is what I have to do with, with that incorporation of, of that. Uh, feeling into this is what's going on, and and let it. I mean, I've been rejecting it too much, you, you know. And so I noticed that rejecting it doesn't, you know, doesn't cut it because it's the same thing. It's you know just pretending that this is not good, you know. Right. And you know, like kind of letting it be, you know, that frustration and sitting with that frustration in in, in the kind of, you know, sitting at the table with that. It's mm -hmm. an interesting thing because it's, it's difficult, but I think you know it's the it's the right of how to search for it. It's difficult because it's inviting you very too often if you let it sit there to really dive into that frustration or anger or whatever, you know, and so being invited and not giving in is that the difference. It's adding judgments to judgments, right? So judging the judgments, right? So then at some point, at some point to stop doing that. To take the responsibility to start to recognize and stop doing that, and then just come back to this, right? Which is again the practice. So uh, the next uh, the next one in line is that uh, the, Buddhist, the the Buddha tried to send. Um, his name is Shining Adornment. Are we still on chapter four? Oh yes, we are still on chapter four. Uh, this is a young guy, uh, Prabha Vyuna. That's his. Uh, that's his name, which means shining adornment. He says, you must go visit Vimalakirti and ask about his illness. 
but Shining Adorn replied to the Buddha, World Honored One, I am not competent to visit him and inquire about his illness. Why? Because I remember once in the past when I was living the great, in the great, uh, sorry, living the great city of Vaishali, uh, Vimalakirti was just then entering the city. Page 54. And I accordingly bowed to him and said, Layman, where are you coming from? And he replied, I am coming from the place of practice. The place of practice? Where is that? I asked. He replied, an upright mind is the place of practice, for it is without shame or falsehood. The resolve to act is the place of practice, for it can judge matters properly. A deeply searching mind is the place of practice. I'm just going to go through what he's saying. The mind that aspires to body is the place of practice. Almsgiving is the place of practice. Observance of the precept is the place of practice. Forbearance is the place of practice. Perseverance, meditation, wisdom, pity, compassion, joy, and indifference. Which is what we just talked about, basically, right? You know, the place of practice. To not judge this as not the place of practice is a place to begin from, right? How do I know this is not the place of practice? Okay, that's one. Two, how do I practice this? And then we have to go to what he's talking about here. And I would encourage you to go back to that and read it more in depth. So we keep going. We touch on different, very important aspects of our practice, but we have to keep going because we have to keep going. But, uh, but I, it's very important for us as practitioners to go back to that and read it uh, more in depth and understand that and, and actualize it. Because all those are aspects of everyday of how we bring the practice to everyday life. So to bring forbearance, to bring uh, the, the power of meditation, to bring compassion, to bring kindness, uh, to bring generosity, to bear witness, to open up our hearts. Where is the place of practice? Right? So, very important to, to look at that and understand how to um, now, the last one says, indifference is a place of practice, for it rejects both hatred and love. How do you feel about that? <laughs> it rejects both hatred and love. I'm not sure that the wording is the feeling. Well, let's work with what we have. This is what it's saying here. It rejects both hatred and love. Indifference is meant as non judgmental. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not differentiating either. Yeah, it's great. Differentiation, huh? Maybe, yeah, like a difference sounded as more of uh, detachment of those two, like non necessarily being attached to love or hatred. Yeah, see that word and not go to the connotation of <laughs> detach means Don't not care. caring. Yeah, or even indifference being apathy or... Right, yeah. exactly. So detach in this case actually means caring deeply. Or it, 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 uh, it uh, leads to deep care. Why? Because we don't go with this or that. We don't go with what we love and run away from what we hate. 
That's how we said. That's one of the many ways we separate. I love this. I hate that. I'm going to go towards this and away from that. It's not picking and choosing. So indifference Open up completely without reservations, right? Acceptance. Total acceptance, to- total embracing of, of the moment, regardless of what we think about it. It's kind of like what you said to me last week about not making a judgment of the experience, but taking it raw. Yeah. It yeah, as is. As is. Right. Without painting it with our, with, with our personal colors, mm-hmm. right? And then responding and reacting to, <coughs> to that. So yeah, so it's just a point to, to remember to not go to the connotation of rejecting love. Actually, rejecting love uh, leaves nothing but love. Because it's all included. And then it says, uh, causes and conditions are the place of practice for none of the links in the chain of causation. Right? So from ignorance to old age and death, even come to an end, right? So everything, everything is included. So that's how we we embrace causes and conditions because we understand that causes and conditions are inseparable from everything else. Or that's how things show up. So we cannot reject that. Earthy desires are the place of practice. For, the, for through them, we know the nature of suchness. Earthly desires. What we may think we need to reject or go against or maybe uh, get beyond. He's saying that's the place of practice. Earthly desires. Because you're not rejecting it. And remember that, you know, uh, Vimalakiti was a layman. Right? So he wasn't an ordained uh, practitioner. Um, for through them, you, we know how to... Uh, how, we know the nature of suchness. Living beings are the place of practice, for through them we know that there is no ego. All phenomena are the place of practice, for through them we know the emptiness of all phenomena. Form is no other than emptiness, emptiness no other than form. We want to understand emptiness? Here it is. Look at the form. And again, it's not what we think. We think, well, I got to Lived, I gotta uh, become an ascetic, maybe, or maybe only the ascetics, you know, they turn away from the body, from desires, and then they achieve what they achieve. But he's taking all that and just making it one or showing that it's just one thing. Or he's saying, don't divide, basically, right? Don't separate. Then, after that, uh, there's one more, and then we move on to the next chapter. The Buddha said to the Bodhisattva, upholder of the age, that was his name, uh, you must go visit Bhimalakirti and ask about his illness. But he said, world only one, I'm not competent to ask him about, to inquire about his illness. Why? Because I recall once when I was staying in my quiet room, at that time, the devil king, Papias, a.k.a. Mala, right, accompanied by 12,000 heavenly maidens, love virgins, appeared in the guise of the god Indra, playing on musical instruments and singing. They came, they came to where I was, and then the devil and his retina bowed their heads at my feet. Retina, sorry. Bowed their heads at my feet, pressed their palms together, and stood to one side. 
I thought it was Indra. And I said to him, welcome, Kaushika. That was, that was his another name uh, of Indra. Though you enjoy good fortune, you should never behave willfully. You should contemplate the impermanence of the five desires and strive thereby to plant good roots. With body, life, and resources, you should cultivate the steadfast Dharma. But Indra said to me, upright one, please accept these 12,000 heavenly maidens. They can serve you and wait on you. I replied, Kaushika, a monk, a son of Shakyamuni, has no use for such things, right? I would not, it would not be right for me to accept these maidens. Before I finished speaking, who shows up? Vimalakirti, right? He approached me and said to me, this is not Indra. <laughs> it's like a show, isn't it? It's like a, a play. <laughs> this is only the devil. This is Mala who came to trouble you and vex you. Then he said to the devil, he said to Mala, you may give this woman to me. I'm quite all right to accept them. And of course, you know, just, just that part of it just goes against what we may think about practice. Well, you know, what are you going to do with them? <laughs> right? 12,000 maidens. Now, Mala was alarmed and fearful, thinking that Vimalakirti was perhaps going to make trouble for him. So he tried to hide himself and escape, but he could not make himself invisible. Though he exhausted all his supernatural powers, he could not get away. Just then, a voice was heard in the sky saying, Papias, give him the women, then you can go, go back to your original abode, wherever he came from. Mala, terrified, looked this way and that way and then handed over the women. Vimalakirtu then addressed the women saying, the devil has given you to me. Now it is proper that you should all set your minds in attaining Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. Then, adopting whatever approach was appropriate, he expanded the Dharma to them, awakening them to the desire of the way. Then he said, now that you have received a desire of the way, you may regale yourself with the Dharma delight and need no longer delight in the pleasures of the five desires. Then Heavenly Maiden asked, what is this you call the Dharma delight? Vimalakirti replied, to delight in constant faith in the Buddha, to delight in the desire to hear the Dharma, to delight in giving alms to the assembly, to delight in casting off the five desires, and to delight in viewing the five components as vengeful bandits. Remember the, the, the thieves, the, the gang of six thieves, right? So that's what that is. So to see them as that, to delight in viewing the four great elements as poisonous snakes, to delight in viewing the mind and the senses as empty village. So he goes on and on and on. And then, uh, and then he said, Papias then addressed the women saying, I want, I want now to return, Papias, mother, I want now to return with you to my heavenly place. But the women said, you, have give, you, you gave us to the layman, to Vimalakirti. Possessing this Dharma delight that uh, affords us such pleasures, we no longer delight in the pleasure of the five desires. The devil said, layman, you should give up these women. He who gives all possessions, all, all he possesses as a gift to others is a bodhisattva. But Vimalakirti said, I have already given them up. You may take them away. And may you enable all living beings to fulfill their desire for the Dharma. But the women said to Vimalakirti, how can we remain in the palace of the devil? 
How can we live with mother? Vimalakrita replied, Sisters, there is a teaching called the inexhaustible lamp. You must study it. This inexhaustible lamp is like a single lamp that lights a hundred or a thousand other lamps till the darkness is all made bright with a brightness that never ends. In this same way, sisters, one Bodhisattva guides and opens the path, opens the path for a hundred or a thousand living beings, causing them to set their minds on attaining Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. So, what's going on here? Other than the fact it's fun. Is a play or a movie? Did someone say that last time? No, I, I've heard that uh, the group of people made a puppet show out of that. Because that scene would be like the scene right. of all scenes, right there. Rima Cardi comes in, and he, he bests the devil, <laughs> and, and sets everybody free, and just creates total chaos, while this onlooker, the, the person who's supposed to go and speak to him, yeah. is probably in awe of what's going on. But what's going on there, you know, so, so Vimalakirti in relation to, uh, right, the other guy who was there, right? Yeah. What's the difference? What's going on there? And why, the question is, why was Mala able to, uh, to, fool the, to fool him to think that he's somebody else, he's Indra, right? And how come Vimalakirti is so right through that? I don't know, the only thing that comes to mind is that he that he was using the you know, human desire to, to uh, appease um, the, the, the gentleman's name who was coming to talk to uh, Bhima Karthik. There was uh, the Bodhisattva upholder of age. Yes. I don't know his uh, name, but that's, that's the translation of his name. Yeah. Go ahead. So it just seems like he got, he got instantly caught up in it. He got caught up in it, why? Oh. He did, but why? Yeah, say this. <laughs> we want to hear. But I feel like the fact that he got caught up in what a monk should be, and because we all want to reflect each other, he kind of got caught up in what this guy should be in terms of, mm-hmm. not this guy, but he, he's the devil because of that, of, you know, when you yeah. get caught up with what you're supposed to be, it happens all around you. And then it's, he's supposed to be this way, that, and then that's what he got caught up in while... The other one was like, this, this oh, is me, a monk yeah. is not either this or that, and that's why he could see right through, because he could see right through him that there's no separation or things that... Indifference. Indifference. What, that's what we, we talked about before. Right. He was indifferent. He was residing in indifference, right? From there, no problem. It's not what it is, it's what I do with it. Right? And, and this is where, but the other guy, of course, you know, there's guilt, I should not be doing this, you know, it's, look at me, you know, I'm wearing uh, robes and whatever, and, and this is not my thing. But Vimalakirti has no thing. Right? right? And that's the point. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, and then again, the thing with Mala is, you know, Mala comes and says, you know, believe everything you think and go this way, don't go that way, because of whatever, right? And we believe it. And we get trapped because we think it's true. Don't believe what you think. And then we're free. Or at least we're free to act in different ways. Yeah. One side says, you know, there is a problem. And how do you deal with that problem or the issue or scene or whatever you have? And you have to, 
you, don't, you cannot put it aside and say, I'll deal with it later. Or I, you have to take over, because that's what Imran Khan is doing. He takes over. What does he take free. over? Right, but what does he, he do? Now, he, he, free, he, he makes the, the thought free, uh, kind of uh, erases it, so to speak. So when, when, you feel, when you feel that you are caught up in some kind of differentiation, right? So we, you, me, us, right? Feel that we're caught up in some kind of differentiation, right? We look at it and we, so the question, how do we open it up? How do we get above that? It's like, you know, see, being in, in a house, right? And having different rooms, right? These are the good rooms, the bad, I should avoid this room. I should only go to that room. But then to kind of elevate oneself and see that it's one house. So you open all the doors. You take down the walls and yeah, it's one house. It does have rooms, but it's one house. Go ahead. It sounds great, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. But can you like fake it until you make it? Meaning like, <laughs> well, like seeing people because some let's just talk about normal like daily life. There's someone that acts in a way that I. Let's say I don't think I act, so it's hard to see like, oh, we're the same. You know, like I'm talking about the moment of. Yeah. So, can you kind of say to it yourself, just remind, be reminded, yes, we are the same. Maybe I don't understand it right now, or I cannot see it right now, but we are the same, and just keep saying that until. Well, it's not just like, saying that; you know, it's actually it's practicing. It's not just saying; it's actually practicing. But go back to what you know what uh, we read before. <clears throat> the place of practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The place of practice is not passive. It's active, right? An upright mind. Uh, the resolve to act is the place of practice, right? So it consists of very tangible, real ways of interacting with the moment. It comes with you. It's, it's not abstract, right? It's not, it's, it's, you wake up to how you meet the moment. It doesn't mean you ace it every time based on some kind of an idea of indifferentiation. It's just that you, you keep at it. You keep awake, you keep an awakened mind, right? A mind that wants to see clearly. Whether it's a mess that we see all clarity, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> it doesn't matter, but what, what matters is that we keep raising that intention. Yeah. Right, then, yeah, we keep going. So, it's interesting, like, sometimes what you do is it's the same thing. I mean, like, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean that you don't get angry or frustrated, or you don't say something that you need to say something, you know, about the situation. It's not about like, oh, I'm not going to say this because I forget. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but raising that, I mean, it's interesting because I mean, it's, it's clear that you know, like, it's a very subtle line on you know, how we perceive that and how we can get trapped on trying to be in equanimous all the time, when this, that, that is not what this is about either. You know, like, and so you get trapped into what the monk in this case or the monk yeah. Yeah. you get dropped into the idea of what you should be doing um, and then you try to act from there instead of you get wrong. caught up in the idea of right and wrong and the right and wrong right so to, to, you know, love and hate let's just take that right love and hate right and wrong same so how do you free yourself how do we free ourselves from right and wrong to, to be to, to see them both as different representation or manifestations of the same one. So in that case, it doesn't matter. But it does matter, you know, what I do. That's where the precept, the silak, comes in. 
Vajna, Sila, and Jnana, right? So we have to, the Sila comes in there. We have to, we have precepts. And they come to play in the moment of meeting the moment, right? Meeting 12,000 heavenly maidens. <laughs> okay, what do I do with that? I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to look the other way. Go ahead. Tyler, yes. Yeah, and I think that's why it's important that he, uh, in Lakirti, brings up the uh, inexhaustible lamp is in, in reference to that question that how can we take part in this delight while also yep. simultaneously being in the land of five desires. It, to me, it suggests that more often than not, we're not in those ideal conditions. <laughs> and that, you know, that's something I struggle with constantly. And, oftentimes kind of opt out of like, oh no, this isn't how I normally need it in order for me to do X, right. Y, Z thing, so I'm just going to not do it or whatever. And it's more of the how do you try to do this in a realm that exists at the, at the you know, risk of engaging in a, in a duality, in a, a world that exists completely and also to raise the, to raise the aspiration to be equanimous. It doesn't mean you always uh, you know are able to function in that way, but to raise the aspiration to awaken, to awaken now. Though it's not to awaken later, and it's not even measuring the, the amount of awakening or level of awakening now in relation to level of awakening later. That's another way to separate. You awaken now, and if you awaken now to the best of your ability, at this moment you awake. And it's, I've always found it helpful to remind myself that when you wake up, your eyes generally open pretty slowly and not just pop open. Usually there's a lot of eye rubbing and stuff. Yeah, so it itches, yes. <laughs> so, uh, let's go to chapter 5. So, after he goes through a bunch of uh, his disciples, right, the Arhats first and the Bodhisattva, then Manjushri is the one who has the guts to face the Malakirti. So at, at that time, the Buddha said to Manjushri, you must go visit the Malakirti and inquire about his illness. Manjushri replied to the Buddha, well done, one, that eminent man is very difficult to confront. Uh, he is profoundly enlightened in the true nature of reality and skilled in preaching the essentials of the Dharma. His eloquence never falters. His wisdom is free of impediments. He's under, he understands all the rules of bodhisattva conduct and nothing, in the, and nothing in the secret storehouse of the Buddhas is beyond his grasp. He has overcome the host of devils and disports himself with transcendental power. In wisdom and expedient means, by the way, this is very, very important because this is what this sutra is about. Wisdom and expedient means. He has mastered all there is to know. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I am willing to do it, basically. So although he is right now describing the, the, the depth or the level of Vimalakirti's <laughs> understanding, he is obeying uh, his teacher's request and is willing to go. So sometimes we have to do that too. <laughs> That's what that means. <laughs> Uh, okay, so 
he goes to visit. He said, I will go and inquire about uh, his illness. And then everybody wants to go because this sounds like a lot of fun, right? Everybody wants to be present and see what happens with these two, with the discussion between them. The Bodhisattva and major disciples in the assembly, the Brahmas, the Indras, the four heavenly kings, all brought to themselves, all thought to themselves, now these two great men, Manjushri and Vimalakirti, will be uh, talking together and they will surely expound the wonderful Dharma. At that time, 8,000 bodhisattvas, 500 voice hearers, and hundreds and thousands of heavenly beings all decided at once that they would like to accompany Manjushri on his visit. Well, everybody wants to go after somebody volunteers <laughs> to, to face him, right? So, right. We'll watch from the balcony. <laughs> right. So, uh, now, <laughs> exactly, let's see what happens. At that time, the rich man, Vimalakirti, thought to himself, Namajushri, so he obviously realized it um, before it happened, Namajushri is coming with that great assembly. At once, he employed his supernatural powers to empty the room, clearing it of all its contents and its attend- and attendants, leaving only a single bed on which he lay in sickness. So it's a small room, and there's nothing but a bed, and then Vimalakirti is lying on it. So when Manjushri entered the house, he saw that the room was bare of contents. With just one bed, Vimalakirti lying alone on it. Vimalakirti said, welcome Manjushri. You come without the marks of coming. You see me without the marks of seeing me. Manjushri said, just so, layman. What has already come can hardly be coming. And what has already departed can hardly be departing. What do I mean? What comes has nowhere to come from. What departs has nowhere to, it goes. And what is seen cannot be further seen. I but let us put that aside for the moment. So there is, in a way, there's a mutual, some level of mutual understanding of not coming and not going. Here I am, yet. I have not appeared from anywhere, I'm not going anywhere else. Right? It sounds like many koans, right, that we work with. Right? It's a very uh, uh, the famous, uh, well, it was a traditional question, where have you come from? Right? When, when a monk would come visit the teacher, where have you come from? So they take care of that right from the beginning. I'm, I come from nowhere. Now he asked, layman, this illness of yours, can, it, can you endure it? Is the treatment perhaps not making it worse rather than better? The world-honored one countless times has made uh, inquiries, solicitous inquiries concerning you. Layman, what is the cause of your illness? Has it been with you long? And how can it be cured? Right? So in a way, what he's doing is what we would do when we go visit somebody. How are you feeling? What can I do for you? you know, what is the cause of this illness? And he said, Vimalakirti replied, this illness of mine is born of ignorance and feelings of attachment. Because all living beings are sick, therefore I am sick. If all living beings are relieved of sickness, then my sickness will be mended. Why? Because the Bodhisattva, for the sake of living beings, enter the realm of birth and death. And because he is in the realm of birth and death, he suffers illness. If living beings can gain release from illness, then the Bodhisattva will no longer be ill. 
you ask what the cause of this illness or what's, what caused this illness, what causes of illness arise from, this illness of the Bodhisattva arises from his great compassion. So, let's just take a few minutes to look at that. What is he saying? What kind of sickness is that? This is the oneness sickness because we're all together and. Well, isn't it the sickness of being human, being born? Okay. So I am sick because everybody else is sick, he's saying, right? Separation. Okay. Is he separating? No. Actually, he's not. He's no. Is he separating? No, but there is a separation among human beings. Well, I think there's a separation between being a human being and not being a human being. Or being sick and not sick. Right? right? Or being the one who's sick and the one who's not sick. Right? So if I separate, if I differentiate, then there are the ones who are sick and the ones who are not sick. That's why he's sick. And he's sick because he does not separate, and therefore he is in the same boat with everybody else. So the fact that he may have seen through uh, delusion doesn't—it it doesn't mean he's cured of that, right? He's able to see that because obviously there's nothing to cure. What we're talking about, the Buddhism, there's nothing to cure. But he's seeing something. To see that thing, to see that we all are upside down. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is this kind of the purpose of a bodhisattva being, even though you're, you're free, you're born again and again to lead everybody else to the same kind of freedom? And when you are in that place, you're, you're feeling everybody else's pain as exactly your own. So that's kind of the purpose of him coming back again and again. Until everybody is free of their own pain, he's going to feel the same yeah, if you remember the beginning chapter uh, of this book, right? You know, he talks about <clears throat> the uh, the difference between um, again not to get caught up, in, and I talked about not getting caught up in that. But this with the alhat and the bodhisattva, right? So, and the difference in us in in, in seeing our realization as something I want to achieve or arrive at because it's going to help me, right? Because it makes me feel better. Or uh, a bodhisattva on the other side of that, the spectrum of, you know, I, as long as I am, as long as everybody else is not realized, I'm not realized, and all my realization is about everybody else, however you want to say it, right? So then to open up to that and to make the work of realization uh, help everybody else. Doesn't he also say um, that, that he is, he's ill because of his compassion and it's that compassion that I guess compels him to come back and, and do that and be human and be born again and go so just the illness of the bodhisattva arises from his great compassion right yeah it's what the Buddha did too right the Buddha realized and decided to go back to the heart of suffering and so 
isn't he doing the same thing? Basically, he's raising the awareness of what's going on to everybody. That's why he's calling on everybody. The Buddha went and started yeah. traveling around and disciples, <coughs> and it's the same idea of trying to raise the awareness. To raise undifferentiated awareness, right? So that includes everything and everybody. Right, because it's very easy to feel, feel good about practice and feel like, well, you know, I freed myself, then uh, go ahead, do the same, right? I'm no longer bothered by what bothers you. It's very easy to say that. But that's how we get trapped, right? And that's how we separate, we create a new kind of separation. So instead of looking at, in a way, you know, looking at the other shore from one side, we look at the other, the other, that shore from the other side. And what's the difference? There's still the river of samsara. And in either side, there is still the river of samsara. Looking at that, right? Okay. So that's why the other bodhisattvas were sick. Say again? Because like Manjushri wasn't sick. Right? I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> it goes on, you know. There is a... Let's see what happens. <laughs> um, maybe Manjushri thought he's not sick. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why he, he was asking for like, them to come in. And he kind of maybe knew that. He created it for that. Yes. And so then he could have bring that, like what he said, awareness to, hey, we all say, don't forget. Well, the whole thing, in a way, is staged for that purpose. Mm-hmm. It's staged for so we can see what we need to see and work with, right? So we have to see it in that way and not get caught up in details. So Manjushri said, Layman, why is this room empty and without attendance? And Vimalakita replied, the land of the Buddhas too are all empty. Why are they empty? They're empty because of emptiness. Vimalakita replied, and why is emptiness empty? We think that sometimes, right? Yes, right? Or, or when all things return to the one, where does the one go to? They're empty because of emptiness. And why is emptiness empty? Manjushri asked, it is empty of distinctions. Therefore it is empty, was the reply. Empty of separations. Right? Empty of any uh, construction of walls, basically. Can emptiness itself be the subject of distinctions? Asked Manjushri. Distinctions too are empty, was the reply. What is he saying there? Can emptiness itself be the subject of distinctions? How, can, how does emptiness become uh, a, a distinction? By expressing itself in form. No, no. How do you separate between emptiness and distinction? Emptiness and, emptiness and, and uh, form. form. Sorry. How do you separate? So you take this and you say this is emptiness, this is form, right? So here's the distinction. Mm-hmm. But this is that. At the same time. If this is that, if we if we see that this is that, where's the distinction? If we don't, then we can jump from one thing to another. We can jump from maybe jump from the one who's empty 
or the one who is full to the one who is empty and the one who is empty to the one who is full. It really doesn't matter what direction. In this case, it will be the one who is full to jump to the one who has got nothing on his mind. You remember that uh, dialogue with, uh, with Joshua. A monk comes to Joshua and, asks, and says, you know, I've, I've emptied my mind. Right? What do I do? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, Joshua said, throw it away. But then he said, well, I got nothing to throw away. What should I? He said, well, carry it around. You want to be the one who's carrying emptiness? Carry emptiness. You want to be the one who thinks he or she is deluded, then go with that. You're going to carry that around. You want to be the one who thinks he or she is enlightened? Carry that around. So yes, it can become, right? But what he's saying is distinctions too are empty. Even the separation, even to, dis- to make a distinction between this and that, even that is empty. So what does that mean? <laughs> in terms of moment by moment life, in terms of our experiences, what do you think? Maybe it means it's beside the point. Yeah, it's neither here nor there. It's good, I like that, besides the point. But what's the point? The point is living moment to moment, being present. Not rejecting. What you go through. Not rejecting what you go through. Not differentiating between what you go through and what you want to go through. <coughs> Once a teacher said to me on a retreat in um, New Mexico, she came from a background of an abusive childhood with too much responsibility. And so she was pretty traumatized. And uh, even at this stage in her development, and she said to me, um, the only difference between you and me is you think this shouldn't be happening. I still don't get it. But I think it's, <laughs> rele- I think it's relevant. It's very relevant. It's a good I example. Mean, she was a pretty happy woman. It's a good example. Right. You think this should not be happening, which means you differentiate between what you think should happen and what you think should not happen. Right. And what he's saying here is even your differentiation is empty. So it, 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 mean it's not, going does further. Does that mean not fixed? Even your differentiation is not fixed? Is empty of, yes, it's empty of fixed position. Even that is constantly changing as everything else is, right? So it's empty of fixed position. So this moment you think this shouldn't be happening and I want it to be different, and the next moment you're doing what you're doing. Yes. So the moment of, it means the moment of thinking this should not be happening is an entry point. Not less, or actually sometimes even more profound than moments of thinking this should happen. It's a point of entry. But the moment you think, isn't that you have the separation? I mean, if you always... The illusion of separation. That's what he's saying. There is an illusion of separation. Even separation is not separating. Mm. Because it's not up to us to... It's up to us to make it so, but it's not up to us to... <laughs> it is that way. 
right? It's not about, it, you see, when you realize, it's not about, okay, now I realize, so it's, it's like no, that, no. right? Is it? I don't know. <laughs> you have to work on it. You can't just ask me. Why <laughs> <laughs> well, not? <no. laughs> Because my answer is irrelevant, right? Because they're gonna affect you. It doesn't make it. It doesn't change anything. So, yeah. So uh, now, he, then after they ask him, Manjush, with this illness of yours, what form does it take? My illness has no form. It cannot be seen. And then Manjush said, Is this illness seated in the body or in the mind? Is it in the body or is it in the mind, right? So it's, again, something we, we look at often. It is not seated in the body, for it is apart from bodily form, replied Vimalakirti. And it is not seated in the mind, for the mind is phantom-like thing. 67. Page 67. Of the four major elements, earth, water, fire, and wind, to which of these elements does this illness pertain? Vimalakirti replied, this illness does not pertain to the element earth, to the element earth, but neither it is separated from the element earth. And the same may be said for the other elements, for the other three elements. Yet the illness of living beings arise from the four elements, and because living beings have these illnesses, therefore I am too. Yeah, right? Me too. Because everybody else, I'm sick as well. Because I am so, not differentiated. Yes. Right. Because in a way, we all feel that. We all are in the same boat together. And at the same time, we all are being deluded together within all is one. Delusion is in all is one. Not outside of all is one. Right? The delusion of separateness manifests within oneness. But what does change is the experience, right? The, the experience of life itself does change whether or not we realize it. And that's to answer Tetsky's question. It does change. There is something to recognize. And it is paramount that we do recognize it because, not because realization will care or oneness will care about that, right? Oneness will not become more one or less one. But, if you are but it does change your life. Always are in the moment. There is no, there shouldn't be space for, oh, this is wrong, or oh, yes, this is good. Yet we feel this way. We do. Right. Shouldn't, forget that. So shouldn't, shouldn't. We do feel this way. Right. And that's what we start, that's what we have to work with. Right. And the moment by moment re re recognition, I feel this way, and although I feel this way, it's not like that. Delusions are inexhaustible. Thank you for reminding us. <laughs> we think it's going to end, right? Okay, so then, uh, how should a Bodhisattva go about confronting and instructing other Bodhisattva who is ill? <clears throat> Vimalaki replied, tell him about the impermanence of the body, but do not tell him to despise or turn away from the body. Tell him about... And it's important, right, to not reject impermanence of the body. It doesn't mean, you know, well, we have to ignore it or deny something. Deny the needs of the body, the physical needs of the body. 
right? So that will not, but we do have to understand that while we have to take care of the body, feed it, take care of it in many ways, uh, still it is disintegrating. It is of an impermanent nature. Do not tell him to turn away from it. Tell him about the suffering of the body, but do not tell him to strive for nirvana. Tell him that the body is without ego, but urge him to teach and guide other living beings. Tell him that the emptiness of about sorry. Tell him of the emptiness of the body, but do not tell him of its final extinction. Tell him uh, to repent of former of, uh, offenses, but do not tell him to consign them to the past. So it goes on and on, and we don't have to go into that. But again, with like I said before, find the time to if you haven't so done so already, find the time to go deeply into it. And then he says, uh, layman, how should the Bodhisattva who is ill go about tempering and confronting his own mind? A Bodhisattva who is ill should think to himself, now these illnesses of mine all spring from the deluded thoughts, the upside down thinking and various earthly desires of my past existence. They have no real existence. So who is it who suffers illness? So who is it, right? So, so to go through an experience or to have an experience, a difficult experience, unpleasant experience, or something we want to reject, so instead of uh, judging that, to go to who? Who is the owner of this? Right? And what's the difference between feeling something, going through an experience with an owner or without an owner? What's the difference? Is that what? I said that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. well, this is what we have to look at. The difference between owning it or not owning it, or just experience. Huh. That's good for me. <laughs> good for all of us. But it could also be, if you're not quite there yet, it could be both at the same time. Are you asking what you asked me by email? It's the same <laughs> question about being... Feeling, experiencing the whole thing oh, at the yeah, same it's time? the same question, isn't it? Kind of, right? I mean, that's what yeah. you, uh, yeah, it's probably still percolating <laughs> in there. Um, yeah, right. To go through the experiences, the, the many experiences, all at once, but without creating anything out of them. We are creating a self. Well, say, I can feel like simple. both are true at the moment. There's a self complaining, <laughs> very dissatisfied, and then there's something else. I don't know what that is. That's just... So, so to not create a self down. from the self. Don't make it worse, as you say to me. Well, as we, as, as we talked before, right, right? don't add judgments to judgments. Right. So you, you encounter a judgmental mind that says, this should not be happening, I don't like this, I like that, I want to be somewhere else, I want to become something else. Fine. Don't add anything to it. Like you're so judgmental. Why are you doing that? Right. I just went through that with injuring my back. Yes. It's a perfect example. Yeah. Because, boy, I was in some serious pain, but that's all it was. I didn't assign anything more to it than, okay, this is what I got. Now I got to heal. How would you describe the pain then? How would I describe it? You mean not being attached to it? Simply as pain. 
an experience. That was really, I almost heard that in stereo. Thank you. <laughs> because, uh, yes, that's how it feels. It changes. Yes. When, when you kind of give into the pain, that's not assigning, like, I need to get away from this pain. You know, because that's the first reaction. The first reaction is to get away from whatever is hurting, whatever that is. And uh, when you don't assign that, it's just an experience, and it feels like any other experience, you know, like a warmth or hot, cold, or whatever, you know, and, and they're very much so, and it's interesting because, it, you know, it's, I've been, I experienced that many times on certain things, I mean, certain others, I'm really not right there, but with kind of some pain when we're sitting, and, you know, I have like a cramps very often, mm -hmm. and at the beginning, they were like, boop, 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 and then it's like, oh, well, and now I have the cramps, so and it's like, oh, okay, the crowd is coming. Yeah. And it's the same like a bird talking, you know, or, you know, and the crowd is coming, and then the crowd goes. Does it remind you? Does it remind you of a koan, a specific koan that you've heard a couple of times, few times? You haven't gone through it, but you've heard okay. it. Anybody else? Dongshan, I'm gonna hint. Dongshan, when it's hot, let it be so hot that it kills you. When it's cold, let it be so cold that it kills you. What it kills is is that is the manufacturing of a separate of of an owner. It's the owner, yeah. That's what's, that's what's killed at that time. So let it be so hot that there is nothing else but heat. There's no cold in the heat. There's no cold as an idea that you bring into the heat, and there's no heat as an idea that you bring into the cold. Because there's no owner. Then there's just experience. This reminds me of an experience I had in Sashima. Con, it's a very good con to take on the go. Go ahead. It's a great con. I love that con. Yeah. I say it to myself all the time in the weather. <laughs> it changes so often. You, know, you brought oh. up Sashin. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah, I remember, it's so it's much an of experience. just endurance. You think, I have to do this. I'm, I'm enduring the pain. Or it was a specific experience, yeah. though. It was like um, I was sitting and it was miserable almost mm -hmm. all the time for my knees and for these. I don't know what was happening to my brain. But I kept having these, these um, not hallucinations, like it wasn't really there, but it was like these images that kept popping, these really weird images that kept popping into my head, popping into my head. I'm sure anyone would have a lot to say about that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, just weird, odd, out-of-place images, and it just kept happening and happening and happening over and over again until the last day of Sashin, and I'm sitting there, and I'm working with this koan, um, asking. It doesn't matter which kind. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm just, you know, so I was asking my, my quest, the question over and over and over again in the koan. I decided to focus on that. You know, and the pain in my knees was just so bad, and the questions and the images and everything. And I finally got to. It finally came to a head, and I said, and I, I answered my question to myself, which is what we do in koan study, right? I mean we're answering ourselves and and then all of a sudden it just like everything went away like the images went away the, the pain any kind of pain went away and I was able to sit up straight and just sit for the rest of the time it was um, it was amazing but it's it's amazing how this one you know when you're irritated by something and constantly annoyed or you're in pain 
how much you develop, you you put a head on a head, you, you ju judgment, judgment, judgment after judgment after. I don't want this. I don't want this, and it's I don't want this on top of I don't want this, and then you let it go, and it's like gone. And also, also the point is, you know, to not resist the resistance, to not fight the fight, right? So it's not that it's supposed to be, you know, like that. It's gone. No, to not introduce more of the same. Basically, so also to, to be at peace with not being at peace, right? It means that to be at peace, fine. So I, I'm, there is still a fight. I'm recognizing an inner resistance, inner fight, struggle. Okay, how do I meet that? Wh which means one thing, which means we can always practice, right? There's no, because this is the place of practice. And the place of practice is what we meet, not what we want. So, yeah, this, yeah, go ahead. So when you have an experience, it can be good or bad or any experience, how do you take care of it? Yeah. Um, how? Because sometimes you say it's like you just, you know, stay with the experience and it goes away, or you have to do something or something. Every situation, though, it's, it's different. But you bear with it. You have to be like your back, for example. Sometimes yeah. you have to do something. Sometimes it's just gonna go away. Yes, uh, Tetsuki, Do you remember active all day? He does nothing. Do nothing. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Just try something. No, because this is exactly what it is. You know, yeah. active all day. No, yeah. Get busy doing nothing. Okay, uh, so I'm going to keep going. Once one has understood the origin of illness, one may do away with the thought of an I or ego and the thought of other living beings. So who are we saving, right? To do so, one should call up the thought of phenomena thinking to oneself. It is simply that various phenomena have come together to form this body. It has appeared simply because phenomena appeared and it will vanish simply because phenomena vanish. And these phenomena are none, none of them known to one another. Right? So you cannot create something, you can create a mental idea of it, but in reality nothing is created out of this phenomenon, out of our experiences. When they appear, they do not say, I have appeared, and when they vanish, do, do, not, say, do not say, I have vanished. And as you remember, Einstein called the self an optical illusion. Do you remember that? Uh, I'm sure there's a paragraph uh, from one of Einstein's books that he, he explains, he talks about the self as being an optical illusion. And that's how it, that's exactly what it is. That's how we create an optical illusion of a self, creating it from multiple experiences, mm -hmm. putting it together, oh, that's me. But yet, the second I call it me, is no longer that. Because it changes. So who am I? Various phenomena put together, as, as he says, create an idea of me. Which is, we have to understand how it's formed. Which means I, I don't want to reject anything. Because it's not there to begin with. Optical illusion, right? Then in order to wipe out the thought of phenomena, the ailing bodhisattva should think to himself, this thought of concept, or concept, of phenomena too is a form of upside down thinking and upside down thinking can lead to great misfortune 
right? I must read myself off it. But how to read myself off it? By reading myself of thoughts of I and mine, which means reading myself of dualism. Which, again, when it's hard, let it be so hard that it kills you. It kills something separated, separate of what's going on, of the experience. Which kills the dualism, kills the gap. Mind the gap. Remember? From yeah, so London, right? Okay. You can't forget it if you visit yeah, London. <laughs> it keeps going on and on and on, and yeah, it gets stuck with you. So mind the gap. What is meant by reading oneself of dualism? It means not thinking of phenomena as internal or external, but treating all as equal, so magnanimous, right? What, what is meant by equal? It means that I and Nirvana are treated as equal. Why? Because I and Nirvana are both empty. It takes care of waiting for something else to happen, right? Why are they empty? Because they are mere names. Nirvana is a name, right? Delusion is a name. Stuck is a name and free is a name. That's all it is. It's not the actual experience. Because they are mere names, hence empty neither of this neither of these two phenomena has any fixed nature or characteristics. Once one has acquired this kind of equal outlook, one will be freed of all other illness and will have only the illness of emptiness. And the illness of emptiness is empty as well. Right? And there's just one more thing I want to read from there. The, this ailing bodhisattva of ours has no sensations of pain or pleasure. And yet he allows himself to feel such sensations. And while the Dharma of the Buddha is in, in completely, incompletely practiced, he does not seek to wipe out such sensations in himself and gain entry into final enlightenment. So what's that, what's that saying, that last paragraph? This ailing bodhisattva of ours has no sensation of pain and pleasure, and yet he allows himself to feel such sensations. Because we create these names, this pain, this pleasure. <coughs> we create names, pain or pleasure, and it's already division or judgment. So right, we it's create. Different from experience, okay. and it doesn't mean he does not because he's free from creating division. From calling it something. And, and you know, think what happens when we call something something? When we say, this is pleasure, this is pain. What happens? Where does our mind go? It diminishes the experience. It takes us away from the experience mm -hmm. into the connotation of pain. Right. Connotation of pleasure. Yeah. Connotation of like and dislike. Right? And, then, and then the attention goes away from what it is that we... Uh, the only thing there is, actually. And we bring so much more to it, too, because of our definition of pain. Whether it's a mosquito bite or losing your arm. <laughs> you bring more resistance. Yes. Yeah. Right? Or maybe more fear of losing. If you like it, yeah. you say, I love, I love it, then there's the fear of losing it. Yeah. I hate it, then there is the further pain of wanting to push it away. Or the results of wanting to push it away. Okay, 
So, I'm going to, I'm scrolling down a little bit. I'm scrolling, you have to flip pages. Okay, so what is meant by bonds and what is meant by liberation? You want to find it? It's further down. Okay. Okay. Uh, to become infatuated with the taste of meditation is the bondage of the Bodhisattva. To be born in this world as a form of expedient means is the liberation of the Bodhisattva. To become infatuated with the taste of meditation. It's very important. Zen yeah. To become infatuated with it, right? To create something out of it. To become infatuated with what we call our practice. Paul. Yeah, to some extent. To some extent. Yeah. Right? To become infatuated, you know, to... Yeah. It, the common thing is, you know, we go to uh, Daibosatsu, right? And we love it there and... Maybe not all the time, but <laughs> we still go back, which means we do like it. Right, so we like what we experience, and we like the, the, the you know the serenity, right, and the the, the whole um, atmosphere, and then we maybe become infatuated with that, right, and then we come back and we say, well, this is not that. It's very common, right, and that's because we have an idea of something else that we want, and it's connected to our practice, but yet it's connected to to a way of separating what practice is and what practice becomes in our minds. Right? And I talked about last couple of, or last Teisho, I think, or the Teisho before, that one of the, the, the difficulties for us is to recognize that what we call practice is what we call life, and what we call life is what we call practice. Because if we understand that, we're good to go. Because we're not practicing anything. Just functioning and examining, right? And it says, "Wisdom without expedient means is bondage. Wisdom with expedient means is liberation." Now he does explain, but I want to see if you, if you read. <laughs> I want to see if you. What do you think about that? Wisdom without expedient means is bondage. Wisdom with expedient means is liberation. Mind gymnastics. What? The first half of his sentence might imply that. Um, I mean, so much of this is about dissolving that kind of um, student-teacher kind of duality, or that the bodhisattvas or any of these characters have a privileged uh, key into enlightenment, and that lay people. Uh, are unable to attain such things, and so they're involved in the bondage of the gatekeepers versus, you know, There is realization and there's actualization, right? So how do you actualize is the question. Mm -hmm. What, how do you, how do we actualize what we realize? So we may realize some wisdom, some level of wisdom. How do we actualize? What do we do with it? How do we live it? And how, do, how we live it, right? How do we moment by moment express it, right? So uh, wisdom without expedient means, you know, it could be, you know, I'm just, you can become maybe aloof and detached, the other way of detached, right? And separated and feel that, you know, maybe you got something some other people don't. And superiority. Right? Yeah. So then there's no 
there's no life to it. There may be some understanding, but there's no life to that understanding. Mm-hmm. And that creates a separation. And that creates bondage. But he also says, um, yeah? I'm just clear. Oh, yeah, okay, I thought you got it. <laughs> uh, expedient means without wisdom is bondage. Expedient means with wisdom is liberation. Right? So, and says, what is meant by saying that wisdom without experience means bondage? It means that with a mind full of affection and concern, the Bodhisattva sets about to adorn the Buddha's land, lead numerous living beings to, to them, and regulate himself with the doctrine of emptiness, formlessness, and non-action. This is called the bondage of wisdom without expedient means. And what is meant by saying that wisdom with expedient means is liberation? It means that with the mind free of affection and concern, a bodhisattva sets about to adorn the Buddha land, uh, lead numerous living beings to them, and regulate himself with the doctrine of emptiness, formlessness, and non-action, never experiencing weariness or aversion. This is called the liberation of wisdom with expedient means. Right? So to never experiencing weariness or aversion, to... Um, to enact it or to actualize it for the benefit of all, which means to see all as one, which means to not separate, right? Well, he says, he says it means that with a mind full of affection and concern, you know, wisdom without expedient means is mm-hmm. a mind full of affection and concern, and wisdom with, that, with expedient means is a mind free of affection and concern. Right. Which means what? Freeing of... Hate and love. Hate and love. The, the indifferent, the indifference. Right. To be indifference. To free oneself from hate and love from any differentiation, actually. Then uh, I'm going down a couple of paragraphs. Manjushri, the ailing bodhisattva, should view all phenomena in this way. And he should view the body and realize that it is marked by impermanence, suffering, emptiness, and absence of ego. This is called wisdom. But though his body may be ailing, he should constantly abide in the realm of birth and death, bringing benefit to all living beings and never giving in to weariness or revulsion. This is called expedient means. He should further view the body and realize that the body is never rid of illness. Delusion is inexhaustible, right? That illness is never rid of the body, and this body and this illness are neither prior nor posterior to one another. So what, what's, what are we looking at here? Um, the, the footnote that says, in this passage, wisdom stands for the correct mental attitude of the Bodhisattva in his efforts to lead others to enlightenment, and expedient means stands for the actual methods she applied. The process of liberation or enlightenment is successfully completed only when both attitude and method are correct. So the right understanding and then the way the right understanding manifests for the benefit of all creation. So Prajna, Sila, and Janna, right? Prajna, wisdom, Sila. What is Sila? 
Morality. Morality, thank you. And Janna. Janna, Channa, Chan, Zen, same thing. Janna is meditation. Janna is Zen. That's the word. It was Janna in Sanskrit, then Channa in, in later on in, in China, then it changed, it was shortened to Chan, and then it became Zen in Japan. It's all the same. Meditation. So to actualize the fundamental point, right? Okay, we can uh, begin chapter six. Yeah, we got, we got uh, about 15 minutes or so, so we can begin chapter six and see how we go. So at that time, Shariputra observing that there were no seats in Vimalakirti's room. Remember, there was just one bed, Vimalakirti in it, a very tiny room, nothing else. He thought to himself, all these bodhisattvas, a lot of people came, right, to, to watch. Uh, all these bodhisattvas and major disciples, where are they going to sit? Right? Of course, Vimalakirti, knowing what was his mind, said to, uh, said to uh, Shariputra, did you come here for the sake of the Dharma or are you just looking for a place to sit? <laughs> it's a great line, isn't it? <laughs> Do you want to be comfortable? I mean, or do you want to really understand what's going on? Seriously, you should ask that everybody who comes into Dogs <laughs> Did you come in for the sake of a seat? And is there uh, <coughs> a second sense of that, of you shouldn't just be meditating, that the sit in the sense of meditation as well? Right. Right. The, the, right, for the sake of finding some kind of uh, freedom in your sitting, in your zazen, in your, your what, why are you here? Basically that. Why did you come here? Also, what is the Dharma, right? I come for the sake of the Dharma, but what is the Dharma? We may think that, you know, I encounter the Dharma when I sit in Zazen. Right, so it's not just sitting. Right. right. So different ways of sitting. <laughs> right. So I came for the sake of the Dharma, not for the sake of a seat, said Shariputra. Ah, Shariputra, said Vimalakirti, a seeker of the Dharma doesn't concern himself even about life or limb, much less about a seat. A seeker of the Dharma seeks nothing in the way of form, perception, conception, volition, or consciousness. He seeks nothing in the way of sense realm or sense media. He seeks nothing in the threefold world of desire, form, and formlessness. Ah, Shariputra, a seeker of the Dharma, does not seek it through attachment to the Buddha, does not seek it through attachment to the Dharma, does not seek it through attachment to the order. Okay, order. Yeah, oh yeah, I thought order. I missed that. Yes. The order. <laughs> right, to the order of right, those who are practicing together, us as a Sangha, or the order in general, right, the, the path, okay, right. you may say. Okay. A seeker of the Dharma does not seek it through recognition of suffering does not seek it through uh, renunciation of attachment. Does, so the 84,000, was it 84,000 uh, maidens? Okay. So attachment, right? So 12,000. Uh, 12, yeah, 12,000. Yeah, 84. That's a lot more. No, the 84 pores of the skin. <laughs> there is 84,000. <laughs> yes, they multiplied. Uh, 
does not seek it through realization of how to end attachment, or through the practice of the way. Why? Because the Dharma has nothing to do with idle theorizing. We hear it often, right? The Dharma has nothing to do with idle theorizing. To declare that one must recognize suffering, renounce attachment, realize how to reach extinction and practice the way is mere idle theorizing, not seeking the Dharma. To practice is not to practice, right? To say I practice is not to practice. Or to contemplate practice, better yet, is not to practice. Is to be outside of it, pointing at it. And then, uh, I'm scrolling now a little bit, that the Dharma is not something that can be seen, heard, perceived, or understood. If one tries to see, hear, perceive, and understand it, this is trying to see, hear, perceive, and understand the Dharma. Right? And not seeking the Dharma. The Dharma is called unconditioned. If one tries to approach it through the conditioned, this is seeking the condition, not seeking the Dharma. Therefore, Shariputra, if one would be a seeker of the Dharma, one must not seek it in anything at all. Now, the question is for us, when we read this, does this cause stress or do we relax? <laughs> I mean, do, do we realize that by reading, I mean, all he's saying is that this is it. This is it, right? This is it. It's not saying you have arrived. It's not saying you haven't arrived. It's not saying that. It's just saying this is it. How do you understand this? It's asking you, how do you understand this? He's saying, don't seek it anywhere because it's already there. Seeking is, as long as we Separation. seek, is the antithesis of finding. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite it of finding. I am a seeker means what? I'm looking, but I don't have something. I'm, I'm lacking. Yeah. Right? I don't have it. I'm not there. So, a question to, to ask, you know, how, how do I realize... How can I realize I'm there and at the same time keep the mind, the, the seeking mind alive? Keep the curiosity going, you know? Or does it mean, well, there's just, don't worry about it. Don't do anything. Because that's one of the ways we can uh, mistake in that, that paragraph, right? We can create a mistake and think that, well, everybody's it, there's no separation. I don't do anything. Right. Do you remember who asked that question? No. I remember hearing it, but I don't know. No? You don't remember who asked that question? 1,200 years ago. Dogen? That, that's what led Dogen to, to China, actually. That question. Right? I'm a Buddha. Everybody's but We're all endowed with it. Why? Why do it? Why bother with this? So, meaning this is it, we are here. We can, this is it, we are here, but we're not awake. As soon as the mind moves, yes, this is it. But as soon as the mind moves, right, you are separated from it like, you know, heaven and earth, right? Do you remember that? That's again Dogen. Fukan Zazengi. Go back to Fukanza Zengi. If you don't have it, I'll point to you. I'll email it to you. So that's what he meant at the moment. 
It means do the work here too, right? You know, do it here. As is with everything that's going on at this very moment, here's your practice. But if you don't, if you don't see it, it's because you're not awake. But this is it. You're, you're here. If you don't see the way, you don't see it even when you walk on it. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Next time, you should say it before I, I say it. It doesn't come to me as quick as it comes to you. <laughs> okay. You but, pause. It's okay, a few more years of chanting it. <laughs> but that's why we chant over and over again, right? So it's like, oh yeah, that's what it means. Right, you are walking on it, it's just that, where's the attention? Right? The attention is on the search. Yes. I'm searching. And I'm saying, if I, as long as I'm saying I'm searching, I am rejecting this because that cannot be it. Because, well, I'm still searching. This will be it when I find. Um, it's like a story of a fish looking for the ocean. Yes. And he goes to this, uh, <laughs> to the queen, to the queen fish. Yes. Yeah, he said, I've heard of this wonderful place called the ocean. <laughs> that reminds me How do I get there? What? That reminds me of the fish on the camel, too. Yes. Rumi's fish on the camel. Remember that? No. No? No, he's, he's on the camel. And um, he said something is wrong with this. No, you know, the, fish, the fish on the camel, right? Yeah. So imagine that picture, right? Okay. And you know, at some point, the fish realizes... Uh, there's something wrong with this camel ride. <laughs> and then, why am I so damn thirsty? <laughs> right? So why do we ride camels? Um, yeah. Uh, let's just see the time. Okay, we have four minutes, so maybe we should not dive into what's next. Um, what, what's next is actually the, the high seats. Do you remember that? You, you read that, right? That's what's coming, so we have to do it next time. So, uh, any thoughts to conclude? Quick thoughts to conclude what we've covered today. I, I love the um, not owning, the non-ownership of experience. I love that. Well, not just as a concept, but just as an application. Because I walk around trying to control a lot of things. And I think it's mine, and it's not <laughs> mine, you know? It's not even maybe my experience, other than just an experience. So well, what you're talking I, about, I what you're talking about is, is something very important to, to uh, dive into, is, is uh, the notion of gain and loss. <clears throat> and the notion of gain and loss in, in connection to creating divisions. Also in connection to uh, searching and not finding not having. What, am I, what do I want to gain? What am I afraid to lose? How can it be lost? Yeah. Right? Because if it cannot be lost, it cannot be found. Which, if we understand, in a way, it settles us down to do the work here. So something, something does change. Right? So we go, okay, well, I'm free to practice my life as it is. I'm free to practice the, the challenges of my life. And, and uh, 
you know, I have to say, you know, uh, it happens once in a while people say, I'm, I'm too busy these days, I, I don't have time to practice. And you know, you've heard, maybe you, you felt that way too, but I don't have time to practice. My life changed. I have a lot more going on in my life. I don't have time to practice. How is it possible if we understand, if we don't, well, if we don't understand that our life is a practice, then it makes sense. But if we understand that what we practice is our lives, then how can I say that? It will be, and I said to a few of you, it will be like saying, I have too much going on, I'm not going to eat for a couple of months. I don't have time to eat. <coughs> what? Breathe. Or sleep or breathe, right. There's too much going on. And actually, we stop breathing at times <laughs> because of the way we react to what's going on. It's true. But then the body comes, you know, comes back and says, hey, you better start breathing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't stop it for too long. But then, that's how we have to see the practice. Exactly as that, as oxygen, breath. That's what we're talking about. And it's, and it's a shame, and, and I'm saying it because some people that, uh, we, that, that, that were with us are no longer with us practicing. And you'll be surprised. Even people you thought are very uh, um, determined and have some clear uh, understanding of practice, thoughts come back. Actually, Mara comes to visit, right? Mara. Omar. Yeah, he comes to visit in disguise, like Indra, <coughs> like Indra, right? No, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your buddy. I know, I know what's best for you. Yeah. Come, come on, you know, this is a waste of time. Don't do this. Oh, you've got the point. Now let's go do something more interesting, something better. Yeah. There is a better way to, there is a better way to realize. How's that? There's a more pleasant way to practice. And I'm quoting, I'm saying, I've heard this many times. So, watch out for Mara. Maybe that's how we should end this. <laughs> watch out, for, yes, go ahead. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.